bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 31st, 2017. This week marks 26 years since legislation was introduced that ultimately created the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. The Energy Policy Act of 1992 was introduced 26 years ago on February 4, 1991. The bill was signed into law by George H.W. Bush the following year on October 24, 1992. In a bit, I'll share some news on current legislation that could adversely affect the future status of the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit and Investment Tax Credit investments for certain technologies in certain locations. But first, I want to thank those of you who joined us at our Novogratic 2017 New Markets Tax Credit Conference in San Diego last week. We had a great turnout and many discussions about the future of the New Markets Tax Credit. And a special thank you to Bob Ibanez from the CDFI Fund for sharing his thoughts in a Q&A session that was hosted by my partner, Brad Elphick. Ibanez discussed everything from how the process of selecting inventory allocatees in the most recent New Market Statutory Allocation Round went, to the timing of the 2017 Notice of Allocation Availability. Bob has joined us at many of our Nebogatic conferences, and our attendees always appreciate the insights he provides about the CDFI Fund. Now, let's dive into this week's tax credit news. In our general section today, I'll talk about what Treasury Secretary nominee Stephen Mnuchin said, or rather did not say, about tax credits in his written response to questions from members of the Senate Finance Committee. I'll also have an update on the confirmation of Dr. Ben Carson as Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Then, I'll share news about which House Ways and Means Committee member has announced plans to retire after the 115th Congress. In local housing tax credit news, I'll discuss an unusual plan that was proposed by California State Allocated Agency as a response to a disrupted low-income housing tax credit equity market. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll talk about a deadline extension to sign the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition's letter to Congress. And I'll share information about a tool that can help qualified active low-income community businesses request New Markets Tax Credits from community development entities. In our Restored Tax Credit section, I'll give an overview of some upcoming deadlines for Ohio's next State Restored Tax Credit Allocation Round. And I'll close out with our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, where I'll discuss two companion bills that were introduced, or I guess I should say reintroduced, to disallow a Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit or Production Tax Credit for new wind turbines built near certain military properties. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Senate Finance Committee was scheduled to vote on the nomination of Stephen Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary this morning. However, that vote was delayed. We're awaiting information as to when the rescheduled vote will be held, and I'll send out a tweet when we learn. I also, though, 
wanted to review the written questions, questions for the record, that the Senate Finance Committee released last week. These written questions gave committee members a chance to ask Mnuchin for his thoughts and his support for specific tax policies. Now, I'm happy to share that lawmakers did specifically ask about the low income housing tax credit, the new markets tax credit, the historic tax credit, as well as renewable energy tax credits. More specifically, Ranking Member Ron Wyden and Senator Maria Cantwell both asked Mnuchin about his plans for the low income housing tax credit. Wyden and Cantwell, along with Senator Sherrod Brown and Ben Cardin, also asked about the new markets tax credit. Cardin and Senator Bill Cassidy asked Mnuchin to keep the historic rehabilitation tax credit in the tax code. And Cantwell asked Mnuchin if he supports the Renewable Energy Investment and Production Tax Credits, as well as the safe harbor guidance relating to them. Now, unlike the lawmakers' very detailed questions, Mnuchin's responses were generally the same and did not include any commitment to retain or support any specific tax credits. He did say, though, that he would work with Congress to determine which provisions of the current tax code should be retained, revised, or eliminated. And he said more broadly that he would make sure that the poorest and rural areas of America are no longer left behind. Also, on a side note, Senator Cardin did confirm in his submitted questions what we had previously heard, and that's that he plans to introduce bipartisan legislation in this Congress to make the new markets tax credit a permanent part of the tax code. Cardin also confirmed he plans to reintroduce legislation to enhance the historic tax credit. In other news, the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs approved Ben Carson's nomination as head secretary last Tuesday. The committee approved his nomination with a simple voice vote. Now I should note, there was no major opposition from the Democrats on the committee. Even Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown, who initially had reservations about Carson as the next head of HUD, decided they would support his nomination. Carson has said that once he's confirmed, he'll conduct a listening tour to, quote, hear from people with boots on the ground who are administering programs, end quote. The full Senate has yet to vote on Carson's nomination, but it is expected this week. I also want to mention that Trump yesterday signed an executive order that stated that for every new regulation issued, at least two prior regulations must be identified for elimination. Furthermore, the incremental costs of a new regulation need to be offset by the elimination of existing costs associated with at least two prior regulations. Trump said he issued the regulation order in order to reduce and control regulatory costs. The heads of all federal agencies have been directed that the total incremental costs of new regulations shall be no greater than zero. Now, that rule can be overruled by the Director of the Office of Management and Budget. This executive order said that the Director of the Office of Management and Budget shall provide heads of agencies with guidance on the implementation of the rule. That implementation guidance will include standards for determining what qualifies as new as well as offsetting regulations, among a number of other things. Now, until that guidance is released, it's difficult to tell 
how this rule is going to specifically affect the tax code or more broadly the tax credit community. Naturally, we are monitoring the situation and we'll keep you updated in future podcasts and tweets. Meanwhile, in House news, we sadly must report that Republican Congresswoman Lynn Jenkins of Kansas announced she will retire after the 115th Congress. Jenkins is a member of the Tax Writing House Ways and Means Committee, and she has supported key affordable housing tax credit legislation in the past. More specifically, Jenkins co-sponsored Pat Tiberi's bill in the last Congress to make permanent and to expand the minimum 4% and 9% credit rates for the low-income housing tax credit. Now, the good news is that Jenkins will continue to serve through the remainder of the 115th Congress. So if the House GOP and the White House do go forward with tax reform, as we expect, Jenkins, who's one of the few CPAs in Congress, will continue to have a major influence in shaping the tax code before she retires. In affordable housing news, the California Tax Allocation Committee, or TCAC, last week proposed an unusual way to deal with the recent disruption in the tax credit equity marketplace. As we've shared over the past few weeks, many state allocating agencies are responding to uncertainty in lower equity pricing as investors consider the implications of tax reform. Rising rates have played a role as well. Several states have consequently made changes, including adjustments to their qualified allocation plans, extending some deadlines, as well as using other sources of financing to fill emerging financing gaps. Well, last week, California offered something else. Mark Stivers, the executive director of TCAC, sent out an email suggesting the agency will explore a hybrid structure, combining 9% and 4% tax credits. It's targeted for 2016 awardees who voluntarily excluded eligible tax credit basis in their original 9% applications. Now, this is an unusual approach because federally subsidized taxes and bond developments are generally eligible only for 4% credits and cannot be combined with 9% allocated credits. However, there are possible ways to combine 4% tax and bond and 9% allocated credits. The most likely way would be to carve out a portion of the original 9% development that has a cost that's comparable to the amount of basis that was voluntarily excluded in the original application. The developer would then build and own it as a separate project under separate ownership, likely using a condo map approach. The developer would then apply for tax and bonds and 4% low-income housing tax credits for this separate project. This would allow the eligible basis that was voluntarily excluded from the 9% application to generate 4% tax credits, thus creating additional investor equity to assist in closing financing gaps. The hybrid structure would need to be very carefully designed to prevent the tax and bonds from tainting the 9% allocated credits. Several conditions would need to be satisfied, including that the tax and bonds only fund the 4% project and the bonds are only secured by the 4% project. This solution would certainly benefit many developments, but the benefits would need to be weighed against additional costs of having a separate project with separate ownership. The challenges involved in this approach include the higher transaction costs for a separate 4% project. And those higher costs include the bond issuance costs, as well as bond and tax application costs and fees. Other challenges include ensuring that the bond proceeds are separately tracked and only fund the 4% project. 
Challenges would be identifying and properly allocating costs between each project. And challenges would be renegotiating ground leases out of the financing in order to split them between the two projects. Stiver's email did ask developers who received 2016 allocations and were interested in the hybrid plan to email him by today, January 31st. These developments, I should note, would still need to maintain their original scoring, original unit mix, original use of public funds, and original developer fee amounts. All of the amounts that were originally stated in their 9% reservation letter and staff report. Now, again, he's only suggesting this as a potential solution for 2016 awardees. We do have a blog post about this issue, if you want to review it more closely, as well as possible solutions. Just go to the Notes from Novogratic blog at www.novoco.com blog. We will continue to monitor what's happening in California, as well as other states, to attempt to deal with the equity gap created by the current uncertainty caused by the discussions of tax reform. If you have specific questions about what's happening in California, contact my partner Molly O'Dell in our San Francisco office. In community development news, I want to start with congratulations. Congratulations to the community development community. The new Marcus Tesla Coalition last week announced that it had reached its goal of getting 2,000 signatures for a sign-on letter to Congress. So, what do you do when you reach such a lofty goal? You try harder, of course. The New Market Tesla Coalition said it will continue to take signatures until this Friday, February 3rd, in an effort to reach 2,500 signatures. The letter calls for a permanent authorization and expansion of the New Market Tesla program. And the New Market Tesla Coalition is specifically urging businesses in distressed communities to sign on. And even more broadly, the coalition is looking for signatures from professional organizations, mayors, other elected officials, nonprofits, and other New Market Tax Credit practitioners. You can read and sign the letter under the Advocacy tab at the New Market Tax Credit Coalition website. Now remember, the deadline to sign on is this Friday. In other New Market Tax Credit news, I'd like to alert you to a very useful feature of the Novogratic New Market Tax Credit website, a feature you might not be aware of. The feature lists New Market Tax Credit allocation requests by state. This dedicated web page features qualified businesses, or QuickBees, their state locations, and the amount of funding or allocation that they're requesting. So if you know of a qualified business or a project in need of an allocation, you can fill out a request form on our website and be featured on our allocation request list. You'll find the list in the form at www.newmarketscredits.com. And if you have any questions about the feature, contact my partner Brad Elphick in our Atlanta Metro office. As you know, Brad heads up the Novogratic New Markets Tax Credit Working Group. In state historic tax credit news, I have an important update for historic property developers and owners in Ohio. Allocation round 18 for the state historic tax credit is now open. Many of you know that Ohio's state historic tax credit program is extremely popular and the state runs two application rounds a year, one in March and the other in September. Here are some upcoming deadlines to mark in your calendar for this round. Pre-application meetings with the State Historic Preservation Office must be requested by February 1st, tomorrow. The intent to apply form is due February 15th, and Part 1 and Part 2 
of the historic documentation is due February 28th. All applications are due March 31st. The State Historic Preservation Office expects to review applications and make award announcements by June 30th. And then in related news, applications are being accepted for the Ohio Historic Preservation Tax Credit Pipeline Initiative. The goal of the pipeline initiative is to develop a pipeline of properties that are eligible for redevelopment assistance through the Ohio Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program. This initiative provides funding and technical assistance to assist in nominating buildings, districts, and areas to the National Register of Historic Places. Applications for the pipeline initiative are accepted on an open cycle and funded on a first-come, first-served basis based on funding availability. If you have any questions about applying for the Ohio State Historic Tax Credit, please contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, legislation was introduced last week that would make new wind turbines near certain military installations ineligible for the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit and the Investment Tax Credit. Now, I want to emphasize the legislation would only apply to new wind turbines placed in service after the legislation is enacted. Existing facilities already placed in service would not be affected. New York Republican Representative Chris Collins introduced the bill in the House with original co-sponsors Blake Fahrenholt of Texas and Walter Jones of North Carolina. In the Senate, Republican John Cornyn of Texas introduced a companion bill. There is a difference in scope between the two current bills. The House bill says that wind turbines built within a 50-mile radius of certain military sites wouldn't be eligible, and the Senate bill has a 30-mile radius. Now, you may be wondering why the bill exempts new wind turbines built near certain military properties from eligibility. Senator Cornyn said that he hopes the bill can reduce unintended radar interference in pilot training. The bill is called the Protection of Military Airfields for Wind Turbine Encroachment Act. Cornyn and Collins introduced similar legislation in the last Congress, and both of these bills, though, died in committee when the 114th Congress ended. The current House version is H.R. 649, and the Senate bill is S. 201. You can find the legislation at www.energytaxcredits.com. Obviously, we'll keep a close eye on the legislation and any other proposals that could affect how and where renewable energy tax credit investments can be made. Follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. My handle is at Novogratik. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. And if you haven't already, you can still sign up for this Friday's Novogratik Principles of the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Eligible Basis webinar. That's this Friday, February 3rd at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. And it'll be led by my partners, John Krabenschmidt and Dirk Wallace, as well as our Director of External Education, Wayne Michael. You can register at www.novico.com webinars. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novico.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novico.com.